Get them on side on location, not not the Kane residence. Sure, no, we've we've gone up country. I've uh, what a- I've I've died and gone to heaven. That's where I've gone. This joint's unreal. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, we are what northwest of Sydney, uh, about an hour out of town. It's amazing, Sydney, isn't it? Hustle and bustle, but then there's a point, and it feels Ooh. like you're in the country. Joel, get, introduce the great man. You've oh, look, organised this. You, yeah. you, you, you take over. Look, we've had an outstanding month of guests. And thank you to all the listeners. It's yeah. climbing. It's going really well. Peter Sterling, Daryl the Big Man Broman, Phil yes. Gould. But I don't mind saying this, and I don't think these men would mind me saying oh, this. Oh, this is a big call. This is my favourite. This is my absolute <laughs> favourite. Greg Miles would say that racing... Your love for racing is curable only by death. And, and for some reason, it's in me. And for some reason, this particular horse that we're going to feature, that this man played such a big part in, had such a big imprint on my life. We are at some random golf course here. Um, beautiful course, by the way. But it is the home of the great man, the pumper, Jimmy Cassidy. Jimmy, how are you, mate? Terrific, boys. Thank Very- you for having us, by the way. My pleasure. Yeah, it's good to catch up. The- sad week, Jimmy, though, isn't it? Yeah, very sad week uh, to think. The great horse uh, is gone, but um, to wake up on Easter Sunday and see my great mate had passed away, and yeah, look, very sad day, but he, he lived it to a great age of 26. Wow. Mm. The great thing over the last five years, I got to see him pretty much every year, either in the Melbourne Cup Parade, and I tell you what, when you looked at him, he was always dappled up. He, you could have put a saddle on him. I think they used to give him a bit of gear to quieten him down yeah. mm. because he was uh, – yeah. that was him. He was a beast. And then I was lucky enough to see him on Cox Plate Day. We'd done a couple of little interviews and reminiscing of that great Cox Plate. The earth starts to rumble and my guts was churning and away <laughs> we went. So it was great to see him. Great to see him. So for yeah. our listeners out there, Jim, uh, this is a rugby league podcast and people are saying, well, Jimmy Cassidy's on a rugby league podcast, but it's also a punting podcast. But you have a rugby league slash rugby background, haven't you? Yeah, I actually uh, come to Australia to play rugby union when I was 11. Front row. Yeah, front row. <laughs> <laughs> I was an orange boy. I actually played half back in 5'8". And you wouldn't believe it, back in 74, I think it cost us $74 to fly to Australia wow. out yeah. of Wellington. Right. And we got paid 50 cents a game. So I was a professional at 11, oh, boys. <laughs> Who's getting paid to play football at 11? Jim the Pumper Cassidy. <laughs> So what, what was it, Jimmy? Like a schoolboys tournament? Yeah, or it was just yeah? a schoolboy. Actually, yeah. we were called the, the, the Hutt Old Boys, and yet we were only 11. Yeah. Um, but, oh, look, it was a great experience. First mm. time I'd ever travelled, and we got billeted out. I got the chance back in the late 70s to go and see Taronga Zoo and all those sort of things in Sydney and the Harbour Bridge. And uh, so it was when you're 11 years old. What an experience for an 11-year-old. Yeah, 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 not too many 11-year-olds get to do that. That's amazing. Well, yeah. most kids at 11 today are... Um, you know, still at home running around yeah, with yeah. mum and dad, and mm. I got the opportunity, so I just jumped at it, and we had a ball. Were you riding horses then? I was going away to the stables every school holidays, yeah. and getting into the vibe, and getting into the mix of the horses, and and the smell of things, and... Uh, look, so it was in the blood, by the way? It end. was in the blood, yeah. yeah. I, I, I used to leave school that first Tuesday in November, get on my push bike, mm. I'd take a push bike to school, and... I'd know that the Melbourne Cup was run at 10 to 3 on that first Tuesday, so 2 o'clock I'd say, teacher, I'm out of here. Where are you going? I'm going home to watch the Cup. I'm going to ride in one of them one day. Wow. So, so the true. Cup was a big deal in New Zealand even all the way back then. 
I suppose oh, we had look, Kiwi horses for mm, a long time. Well, we had a lot of Kiwis always uh, in there, or if they they were Kiwi bred horses. Yeah. You know, Bart and Tommy and Colin Hayes and all them great champions used to fly to New Zealand for them sales when they were at, at, at Trentham, and they would go and purchase them stayers looking for cup horses. And uh, so it was always a big thing, that Melbourne Cup. Jimmy, we are going to feature Might and Power today, but let's stay on the Kiwi path then. Kiwi... Aptly named, you won your first Melbourne Cup, 1983, I think, 20 years old. Yeah. Kieran McAvoy was 20 years old as well on uh, Brew, actually. On Brew, correct, yeah. Uh, and, and a similar gap. He, he wins a, a Melbourne Cup sometime after that. But let's take us through Kiwi. How'd that play it? Yeah, well, it was funny. I, I actually seen him have his first run at a place in New Zealand called Wanganui. And Diane Mosley rode him, uh, one of the first late, well, that, first half a dozen lady riders in New Zealand. Anyhow, I said to me boss, I said, I've seen a horse run today. I said, I wouldn't mind trying to get on him. And uh, he's, so I rang Snowy Lupton and, and, and said, look, any chance of riding Kiwi? He said, oh, look, Diane's riding him. Mm. He was a beautiful man, Snowy. He said, look, I can't take her off, but if she gets suspended or something happens, you can ride him. Well, cut a long story short, unfortunately, she's had a bad race fall a couple of weeks later. Wow. So his next start, he was in a place called Stratford, where I was living in the Hawke's Bay, which was you had to come two, out of, two hours out of Hawke's Bay to get to the central districts and then drive up the coast, which was about a seven-and-a-half-hour drive for wow. me. Wow, for one ride. For one ride. And he happened to be in the last race. I never had a car, so I said to me, boss, I've got to borrow your car. Well, you wouldn't believe it. I was about four foot two then, <laughs> and I'm only four foot three now. <laughs> so I said to the boss, can I borrow the charger? Yeah. The big V8 charger. So I jump in it, had to get some cushions off his chair, and <laughs> had to get a builder to come in and put some blocks on the pedals. <laughs> So away I drove to ride Kiwi at Stratford, six and a half hour drive, and uh, had to wait for the last race at five to five or something to ride him. In our 1,200 metre race in a maiden, flashed home, got beat a nose on the line. Beaten? Got beaten. Wow. And I said to me boss, I said, I don't want to get off this horse. I mm. said, I think he's special. And then... Um, Tell me this, Jim, just on that. When you see in a program, a scenario like that, a top jock who's got one ride somewhere, is that a horse you generally want to be on? Well, for it's a tip, a, it, tipping wise, it's, it's a good job. It, it, it's yeah. a good lead. It, it, it's a good lead because you know your good jockeys don't normally more normally go that far for one ride. No, but mm. it was an opportunity. I didn't want to give it up, and uh, I thought, well, I've got, you know, you got to be in the act. And unfortunately, got beat, but uh, I stayed on him, and, and uh, away we went. You, you said you didn't want to get off it. What? How do you like? How quickly do you know that you're on a that you're on a good thing or you're on a winner? You know, well, it, the, it, it's feel. It's all yeah. feel, and I, I like to look at the confirmation of the horse look at their mental attitude because they're all individuals like mm. humans they're all different they've all got their own little personalities or some are a little bit more hypo and that sort of thing but he was just the real relaxed dude mm. he just used to cruise around and and do nothing and all of a sudden bang you push the button and away you'd go he'd, he'd you know the old jet engines would rev up and away you'd come how did that so you win at 20 how does that change your life well, when you leave school at 11 and watch Melbourne Cups and sit on the lounge chair at home and break a branch off the tree and sit there whipping it and watching them jockeys <laughs> coming up the straight. And I actually said to my dad, I'm going to ride him one of them one day, Dad, and I'm going to win one. Yeah. I said, that's my dream. And then, obviously, I won the Wellington Cup on him, which was a great buzz to me to win your hometown cup, two-mile race. And he come from last that day and got up in the last stride and won. And Noel Harris... Another good Kiwi jock when I got suspended. Actually, he was the boy that rode Glen Gown that got beaten a cup and got criticised a lot. So I said to Handbrake, I used to call him. <laughs> uh, no reason for that, but uh, 
I think his handbrake used to get stuck a few times on one or two when I was following him. And uh, so we used to chop and change if I got suspended. Noel would ride him. And I actually thought they'd put Noel on him in the Melbourne mm. Cup. Anyhow, I got the phone call, Snowy Lupton and Rung. He said, nah, he said, you deserve your chance. You can go and ride him in the Cup. Well, I was like a can of worms. I was buzzing from head to toe that I've got, got a chance to ride in the Cup. And uh, we got there. I can clearly remember standing in the mounting yard today there was Tommy Smith, Colin Hayes and Bart Cummings all standing together watching their own horses parade. Yeah. There was one horse in the mounting yard that day that wasn't sweating up, that wasn't jig-jogging, wasn't getting towed around by... Uh, leading a, the strapper wasn't getting towed around by the horse. He was just a relaxed dude. And I thought to myself, wow, we've got a big chance here. And I was so confident. He'd, he'd won the, wave, uh, the Egmont Cup prior to the Melbourne Cup. He carried nine stone. He won at 2,200. He broke the course record. And he was going into the Melbourne Cup at two miles with 52 kilos. Wow. They were betting 11 to 1. <laughs> and I just thought, get all over this, pump. Get all over this. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. The true story, I got to Melbourne. I borrowed two grand off me boss. Yep. I said, boss, I need two grand. He said, what for? I said, I'm not going that far and not having a bat. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really know you weren't allowed a bat. Yeah. I made out that anyway. Oh, yeah. weren't you? I thought you were in racing uh, on your own thing. No. Okay. In New Zealand now you can, but back then in the okay. 80s mm. you couldn't. So I borrowed two grand. The Luptons put me up at the um, the Park Royal at, at St Kilda. So on the Sunday morning, I jumped in a cab, <clears throat> 1983, from the Park Royal to Flemington and back. Cost me a dollar seventy four in a cab. <laughs> <laughs> I was never that good at school, so I worked out. I had $1,998 left. <laughs> so I thought, that's going on Kiwi at 11 to 1. Oh, wow. nice. 1983, the cup was worth 180000 So you won more on the punt than the... I won more on the punt than I did me prize, mate. Me 10% <laughs> was 18000 Yep. And I won nearly 22000 <laughs> in cash. Well, you know what, Jimmy... You rode a horse of ours called Salon Soldier, who passed away not long after you rode this horse, and, and you said it was going to be a superstar horse. Could have been anything. Yeah, well, there, Melbourne Cup day, and you won the listed race. Yep. And we were Schindler's List by that time, right, as you can imagine. But you won the race, right? They turned for home. Plenty of room for Cassidy, said Miles, and Salon Soldier, Wooshka, wins the race. And the thrill of winning it, it wasn't until some time after that we thought, hang on, we've won a lot of money as well. Was that the same with the Cup? Like, I dare say when you've won the race... It took some time to realise, and I've won all this money. Was that the case? Well, it was. As I said, the cup was worth 180000 I've had 1998 to win. <laughs> I was getting $18.50 a week in 1983. I was wow. 20 years of age. Wow. So I think it took me nearly four years to pay off my first suit. Yeah. I was paying about $2 a week. <laughs> when you're getting $18.50 a week, mm. and I was, I was 20 years of age, so it just went nowhere. Yeah. So I'd won the money, and I just thought I was Christmas, and... Uh, Funny story, I went back to the hotel room, I had a couple of blokes with me, and I said, boys, I said, can you go down and change that 22000 into $20 notes? They said, what for? I said, I'll show you when you come back. So they brought the money back to me, tipped it on my bed. I was going to say, <laughs> tipped it on my bed. <laughs> Pump took his gear off <laughs> the 20, he was rolling in money. <laughs> oh, oh, you can just imagine, oh. can't you? It was exciting, oh. it was a buzz, because... To sit there, I always reminisce back, sitting on the lounge chair, whipping it with a branch off the tree, thinking, I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden, bang, it happened. The so are you a star through. immediately? Like, are you now getting big rides all the time after that? Or you still have to bide your time? Oh, no, I was still biding my time. But it, it obviously opened a lot of doors. Um, I was laying in bed one Friday night about 7.30, trying to get to sleep because I had races the next day in New Zealand. 
and I get a phone call. Rings up and the bloke goes, that you Jim Cassidy? I said, yes. He said, is Bob LaPointe here from Sydney? Mm. He said, I own a mare called Emancipation. And I said, oh, yeah, you're kidding yourself, mate. And I hung up on him. I thought it was one of my mates <laughs> pulling a gig on me, see? Yeah. So he rings back within 30 seconds. He said, please don't hang up. Listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, what do you want, mate? He goes, blah, blah, I own Emancipation. Yeah. Blah, blah. He said, we're setting up a new stable in Sydney called Nebo Lodge. He said, we've got uh, Millie Fox, who own the stable. We've got Robert Sankster coming in as our big owner and a couple other big businessmen. He said, uh, we'd like to fly you over and uh, come and be our jockey. Well, once again, I nearly hung up on him. He goes, don't hang up. This is for real. <laughs> so within 24 hours, I had a first-class air, airfare ticket, uh, jumped on the big bird, had a stretch limo pick me up. Wow, big straight, time. Straight to Point Piper, where <laughs> Robert Sangster was living in the big pink mansion. Wow. So we get to the door, I get out of the car, the butler comes out, opens the door with the white gloves on. I thought it was Michael Jackson's brother, but it wasn't. <laughs> he had the white glove and here I are sitting at Point Piper in one of the richest men in the world's house. And he's asking me if I was available to come and be the jockey for Nebo Lodge in Sydney. And, uh, and how old were you there? I was only, I was still 20. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I hadn't turned, uh, I wasn't 21 until uh, January. So you were going to go back to New Zealand to keep riding. Even yeah, though you won the cup here, you yeah. were, right, okay. I was just going back and... And had you, only, had you raced in Australia prior to the to the Melbourne Cup win? I actually yeah. rode in the Melbourne Cup in 82 okay. on a horse called Amaranth, owned by um, a chap called Robbie Porter, who was a big um, uh, music man in America. Mm. And he was trained by my good mate uh, at the time, George Hanlon. So that was a buzz uh, riding in my first cup. Uh, it was exciting and admittedly I got a little bit lost in the race, the pressure and the mm. hype and everything, but it was a great experience to be part of that, to go back the following year uh, with Kiwi. And, mm. um, and then obviously prior to the, the Melbourne Cup that year, I, I run into Roy Higgins. I got the chance to meet Roy Higgins because Bobby Skelton was meant to do the – they used to do the parade up the straight prior to the cup. Yep. And anyhow, Bobby Skelton was, was crook and they said, oh, Jim Cassidy, would you like to be part of the, the parade? And I thought, wow, that's great. Settle the nerves and get to look at the crowd and everything till two hours before the cup. And I was actually standing there with Mr Higgins at the time and I was introduced to him and he's, I said, oh, is, is there anything, you know, any pointers you can give me about the cup, Mr Higgins? He said, well, where do you think you'll be the first time round, son? I said, oh, I'll, I'll be last, Mr Higgins. He said, well, by the time you get to the 2000, you want to be as close to, winning, uh, as close to the rail as you can so you're not covering extra ground and all this sort of thing. I said, oh, that won't be a problem. I said, I'll be last. He said, well, the Melbourne Cup pretty much starts at the 1,000 metre mark. Mm. He said, horses that can't run two miles start to get the stitch. He said, where do you think you'll be there? I said, oh, I'll be watching them all. I said, I'll be last. <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of looked at me to say, and I could see the expression on his face, more or less saying, well, you cocky little thing. He said, where do you think you'll be at the 600? I said, oh, I'll be last. <laughs> he put his hand out and shook me hand. He said, well, good luck, son. <laughs> and then, obviously, exactly what I said happened. And after the race, the next day I heard Clem Dimsey, who called the cup for Channel 10 that year, and Roy went up into the commentator's box and watched the cup. And he said to me, he said, I remember you talking to you, and he said, you're last. He said, I looked at the 1,000, you were last. I was last at the 600. And he's thinking, wow. And then Roy Higgins said to Clem Dimsey, Clem Dimsey, he said, that was the most outlandish statement I'd ever heard. <laughs> well, out of that 22,000 I'd won, I went and bought a dictionary to see what outlandish <laughs> meant. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know the you know what's dawned on me too the polar opposites of your rides of your Melbourne Cup. Mm. So so for Kiwi, I, I don't know if there'd ever be another horse who was last both times past the post. Yeah. And Might and Power was first, first mm. both times past the post. Well, I, I believe Kiwi is the only, pretty much the only horse to come from last that far back. Like yeah. at one stage, he was 25, nearly 30 lengths off the loop, which is an incredible feat, mm. incredible performance. Probably one of the great cups, not because I rode it, but to watch it and then watch another 20 or 30 cups. And then obviously Might and Power, that was probably the biggest pressure in the race, not Mr. Packer having his four mil or whatever. <laughs> But him, me get, having to get him to relax to run the two miles. To, to take us back to the Packer thing. Yeah, that was amazing. I, I was, as I said, I was sitting in the room. Did I mention that? No, I was sitting. Oh, fair, oh, fair. I, I, I Actually, sitting. before you go into that, I just want to just touch on one thing before I forget about it. Beautiful home. We're keeping it well and truly our distance. I reckon we're about two metres apart. Two metres apart. But you took us through your beautiful home, Jim. Oh, wow. and, and, and one thing that I, I noticed is that for such an acclaimed career, You've got stuff all up there. It's all your, your daughter's paintings and pictures. There's, there's, I, I expected to see a house decorated in might and power and emancipation and all these Kiwi and all these great horses, but there's next to nothing there. And it brings, brings me to a story. Two of my mates in the punters club, very, very successful real estate agents, and a very famous rugby league player had asked them to sell their house, sell them his house. He said, whatever you do, he said, don't tell anyone whose house you're selling. And they said, well, you've got 8 million photos of yourself up on the wall. <laughs> Can we take them down? He said, no, leave them up, right? But, Jim, you've got nothing up here. No, look, I'm very proud of my three daughters, Nicole, Sasha and, and Piper. She's my youngest. She's 15. And she'd done a lot of the, the artwork uh, that you've seen on the wall when you walk into my place. And, yeah, I'm very proud of that. Um, I think I've only got one photo uh, in my house up, and it's of Zustari's 100. So. Yeah. Um, all the good memories are there, Kiwi and Might and Power and Redoots and wow. all that sort of thing. But my head's good for radio, not for being <laughs> on the wall. Six to go, play on, <laughs> Kerry Packer. That's it. Um, I'm sitting in the hotel room and because night before the cup, you don't want a lot of phone calls, you've got to be focused. And the pressure with the expectation of the cup, Caulfield Cup, so there was probably a lot more pressure on me than what I probably realised, but I, I, I took it in my stride. So I'm sitting in the hotel room, the phone goes, about 10 past six, I picked up the phone. I said, oh, hi, Dad. He goes, it's not Dad. He said, it's KP. I said, oh, hello, Mr Packer. I said, can you be my dad for one day? <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> I said, what can I do for you? And he said, how's the big horse, meaning might and power, obviously. Mm. And um, I said, look, I haven't been on him because I don't ride him work. I said, but I've seen him pretty much every day. He's dappled up, he's... He's gone ahead, and I was good mates with the bloke that rode him work, Brett Grant, who was my manager at the time. And uh, I said, why is that? And he said, oh, I've had a small interest. I said, with no disrespect, Mr Packer, I said, what's a small interest? He said, son, he said, I've had four million at four to one. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know who was happier, Mr Packer or me, when we went over the line. <laughs> Let's just rewind a month, or not even a month, three weeks, Caulfield Cup. I'm with mates. Everyone's got their own story relating to might and power. I'm with mates at Orange Racetrack. Uh, it's a mate's 21st. We've done our arse, and we've all emptied our key cards to back this horse that wore the grey, the white, and the pink in the Caulfield Cup. And it's got us out of a stack of trouble. Was it odds? Good odds? Uh, I think it was about $8. Well, that's Is that about right, Jim? I think he said, well, they were still betting $15, and three weeks before, he was about a 25 to 1 chance, which... 
Um, God bless my dad, he got a little bit of it. <laughs> so, to, so, so take us through that. That's when it really announced well, himself, that, that, didn't he? That race put Might and Power on the map and it, it got me back on the map. I'd just come out of the jockey's tapes. On the Tuesday prior to the Cup, I didn't have a ride. Uh, he'd got beaten the Epsom. I looked through the field and I thought, oh, look, there's pretty much nothing I'm going to be able to get on. And at 10 to 8 on the Tuesday morning, after track work, the phone goes. And this man goes, is that you, Cassidy? <laughs> I said, it is. Is that you, Jack? Meaning Denham. He goes, yes, it is. He said, what are you riding the Caulfield Cup? I said, I haven't got one. He said, well, you have now. You're on might and power and hung up. So I said, oh, thanks, Jack. Oh, too late. <laughs> Couldn't even say thanks, Jack. So the next time I seen him was in the mounting yard uh, on Caulfield Cup Day. And... I'd had a meeting, I'd finished my saunering once again about five o'clock and I rang the manager and I said, meet me at Crown. I said, I need to talk to you. So we're sitting down there over a little scotch because I had to ride 52 and a half on him so I didn't have any dinner. Got a plate of feathers and a look around. <laughs> so I had a little scotch and we're sitting there and Brett goes, what's wrong? I said, I just want to give you the heads up. I said, I'm leading in the cup. Wow. He goes, pump. He said, if you lead, Jack will sack you. I said, well, I'll take the punt. I said, I'm going to lead at all costs no matter what. And, uh, what Barry were you? I drew Barry a nine. Okay. And we're standing there in the mounting yard, and Jack goes, what do you think? I said, well, I don't think anything, boss. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, whatever you do, don't lead. He said, just be third or fourth. I said, yeah, good as gold. Oh, dear. So I went straight to Barry with the pony. I had never seen a horse in my 38 years of riding parade like he did. So my answer to that was any of the smarties that thought they were good punters and good tipsters, if they couldn't see the way he paraded, and they didn't back him, they'll never back another winner in their mm, life. Yeah. Because he paraded like a beast. He, he, he just, with his presence, he was bullish. He, he dragged Brett Grant around the mounting yard. <clears throat> and I, when I seen him going around the mounting yard, I said to Jack, I said, I'm going to take him down with a pony. I said, because I don't want the saddle slipping or anything like that. He's only got a little saddle on him. And uh, come out of nine, I give him a little squeeze and bang, <laughs> straight to the lead we go. <laughs> And Jimmy I did, could did see Jack Denham and Nick Parade <laughs> sitting there thinking, I'm going to throttle this little shit if he gets beaten. <laughs> did you do all your own form when you were riding to say or to, to know where you were going to position yourself within a race? Or did you have people that would help you? No, on the side, I, like? I, I, I'd done very little form. Okay. Uh, I never asked the experts for form because they were either sitting in the lounge room or sitting in the grandstand. Mm. They had, they couldn't help me. They, I, I, I used to put myself in this position back the trainer's ability, no matter who it was. I'd back the horse's ability and I'd back my own ability. Yep. So whether it was lead, uh, be first couple, if I was on the third favourite and I was going to be on speed and I knew the favourite was behind me, I used to think, well, good luck. You've got to come from behind me to beat me. If mm. I ride good and make the right options and make the right decisions, I'm certainly going to be hard to beat. So yep. I didn't stress by doing too much form because... When it's not broken, don't complicate it. Mm. Uh, if you're on a free goer, let them use their natural ability and be... The main thing to win any race is trouble-free run. Have fluency, have a horse happy, have them relaxed, and, and make right de- make the right decisions. It's the click of the fingers, left, right, forward or back. Yep. There's only four things a jockey can do in a race. So don't complicate it. Mm. J- Jimmy, if you can, can you take us... I'll put some footage up here for you. If you can take us through this, thanks to racing.com, and just talk us through this. Bonsai Pike 
pipeline, followed by Ebony Grove going forward, followed by Is this Kiwi? Right, this as we get to the 600, he actually jumped the shadow of the 600 metre marker. He jumped it, and as he done that, I had a little bit, little, little bit of a look to the right, and I said, clickety-clack, we're off here, boy, let's go for home. And uh, once I let him run, he put two links on him straight away. And I was thinking, geez, two and a half thousand each way, 15 to one. What's that worth? Let's go! And then I give him a crack, and he, he put seven on him. I didn't know I was in front by seven, but I could hear the crowd going berserk. Yeah. And I thought, something's either coming at me quick, or you're but, killing him. But then I thought, they can't come from behind me because he's. I sort of rated him that day to run 12 to the furlong, 12 and a half, 12 and a quarter. I thought if he runs 12, 12 and a bit for a mile and a half, unbeatable. Mm. Unbeatable. Because 98% of horses cannot do that. He was one that could. You know what? Um, I did a fun run recently and I'm out of shape and all those sorts of things. But Join the club. The, la- the, the last <laughs> 500 metres. The kids jumped on, and it gave me a bit of a boost, and they helped me run over the line, right? And probably a very poor analogy, but but one of the great calls from Greg Miles, and I love this, and I'm thinking, you, you mentioned your dad and your parents a few times, how proud they must have been in 1997, the Melbourne Cup. You've won the Caulfield Cup, and Greg Miles' call, the brothers Cassidy turned for home around yeah. the bend together. I actually heard that on, on Sunday. I replayed the cup and just had a little moment to myself and had a few tears and let things flow out. But, yeah, that, that was special to have, you know, for, for any for, for any mum and dad. I was on linesman. Yeah. <laughs> not on might and power. Well, I said to my brother, I said, mate, the winning post is at the bottom of the straight, yeah. not the top. <laughs> yeah. And I think there were two Kiwi, three Kiwis that rode in the cup that year, myself, Larry and Greg Childs. And the only two dickheads that took me on the race were my brother and Greg Charles. Oh, so, so here I am thinking it was him trying to carry a 300 metres. That's not the case. He was just though. being a bloody pest. <laughs> but tell me this then. So you're charging down the straight. You're charging down the straight. You can see the post. You can't see behind you. And Might and Power is just a perennial leader. How do you know? And one thing I need to ask as well, Greg Hall, who puts his whip up, mm. Why does why does he think he's won the race? Like what? It, it's so close. How can he be so? Calm? I'd imagine your head's down. You're just whipping. You wouldn't have a clue. Like how, how does he know that? Nine times out of ten, when you're on the outside, yep. And you've got he he had the momentum where mm. I didn't. Yeah, I was coming back, struggling with the fifty six, uh, sussed to run the two mile. So I was pretty much at my top. I was gone. Yep. The last stride, he's coming. And I only, I only sort of heard the crowd because something was coming and it was late and he sort of got to me probably 30 metres out, got on my hind quarters, then he got level with me and then the last two strides he's had that one bound at me. And when Hawley went up, I thought, You're done. I'm mm-hmm. done. So I just put my head down, sucked in a big one and just looked for Johnny Letts who was always 100, 200 metres off the line. Mm. And I'm yelling out, let's see, what number's in the frame? So you're not convinced you're beaten? I wasn't convinced I was beaten because you never beat until the number's in the frame. Yeah. Never beat until the number's in the frame. So I said to let's see, what number's in the frame? He said, you got it, pump, number well, three. And I just went, you beauty. And what a buzz. And then I reflected thinking, was Greg Hall waving to that girl in row 48B? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she must have flashed him or something. <laughs> one, of my, one of my first bad beats 
was uh, was Montpair in that cup. I was only 11 years old, right? Obviously a public holiday um, down in Victoria. So I was around at a mate's place and we're mucking around, whatever. The three o'clock rolls around, we've got to watch it. And his old man has gone and put five bucks or 10 bucks each way or whatever it was on Montpair. And I've begged him. I said, please, you know, Jeff, please, can you have someone up for me? He goes, no. I'm not sure what your parents had. They're going to react. My parents wouldn't have cared, you know. George's, George's a punter. And I pleaded with him. He goes, no, I can't, I can't do it. I don't want to get in trouble. Sure enough, it's run and one. And I'm sitting there, my mate, so he's counting the money. He's probably won about, you know, 20 bucks. A lot of money back then for an 11-year-old. I've just got head in my hand. So it's the first bad beat, but what a race. I watched it again this morning for the first time in a long time. It's such a good race. Jimmy... Sean's old man's a coal miner from Maui. He wouldn't have given a shit about <laughs> charging into the Not big at horse. All. Into the big said, horse. He would have said, why don't you have tennis way? <laughs> so you win the cup of 20 as a kid. Then you go through jockey tapes and then you win might and pet. That must have been a totally different experience. The vindication, the re- redemption of winning the second time. The greatest satisfaction that gave me about the Caulfield Cup with might and power was... Yes, winning the cup, but it wasn't so much about winning. It was about coming back, yeah. fighting back, yeah. getting off the canvas, because they had me dead and buried. And I, I don't care what anyone says about the jockey's tapes. I had done nothing wrong. I had helped out a mate who was that mug Shane die, and I got left holding the baby. So everyone was saying, down to my ex-manager, without mentioning any names, Ronnie Duffersey and a few people like that, were saying, Oz, gone. He won't come back. In your mid-30s, that's and young I, to be gone. And I thought to myself, I am going to not stick it up everybody, but I'm going to show them what a real person that can get off the canvas can do. So I got the opportunity to ride him. And then when I won, I reflected coming back to the Manning Yard, watching all those people in the grandstand thinking, out of 30,000 people that were there, there would have been 5,000 of them thinking, how could he come back? <clears throat> but I was that determined. Mm. You know, I had good people around me, my mum and dad. All the people that were there when I was flying before it had dropped off. I was going to say, do you find had out dro- about people in that off. scenario? I, I sold houses, I sold cars, I took kids out of school. You know, I was gone. I was busted, but I wasn't broken. Mm. And I thought, I'm just going to come back and... Put egg on everybody's face. So, was it three years? You were, I, I you got five years. Five, yeah. Well, you don't get five years for murder. Yeah. Some of the biggest drug dealers in the years. world get three years. Mm. You got for five years. I got, I, I got five years, yeah. and I got back in two. Okay. And the people that did support me, which I was very, very thankful to Jack Denham because he he gave me an opportunity. As tough and as hard and as ruthless as he was, uh, we had a we had a good team between us a good association between us and I was always honest with Jack and, and fair dinkum and d- despite what people say and you know they all had me gone and that made me so determined to come back. Mm. So what did you do during the two years off? How did you keep your focus? Obviously you can't ride competitively so what did you actually well, do with I, that? I couldn't ride. I wasn't allowed to socialise with racing people. I was disqualified. Wow. So I actually come out here to Arcadia mm. and I went, uh, I was getting 100 bucks a day. I honestly didn't even have a car. I was borrowing a mate's car to drive from Ramwick out here and I'd come out and I'd, I'd help do fencing and digging holes and, but, and then I'd done a bit of show jumping, which to see the other side of racing, like people say, even though it's in my blood and it's still in my blood now, people say, you know, where is life after racing? There is actually life after racing. So what year is this, Jimmy? Uh, this is 95, 96. 
because a mate of mine, a good mate of mine, he, he's got a great saying. He said, sometimes the best gifts come badly wrapped. In a warped way, was there gifts in you having that time out, do you think? Oh, look, 100%. It, it made me realise how how lucky I was to be riding. Mm. Um, it put me in a position to think how how nasty and how evil people can be and point the finger and say things that aren't true. Mm. Like, I'm a great one to criticise, yes, but I won't criticise when I'm, I know I'm only a 50-50 chance of being right. Yep. You must be right when you're going to start pointing the finger. And that whole jockey's tape saga thing was badly handled. Uh, a couple of times I was, I, the advice that I got was probably wrong and I'd, I'd done a couple of little things wrong in respect of the way I was handled. Um, but to see a couple of people and the way Streck handled it and that, like I, I was I was at a high court having to give evidence about something which I was never called. I was subpoenaed to court so I couldn't leave. Mm. Now, the night before the, the Melbourne Cup, when all this stuff's going on, I actually rang John Streck, who was the chief steward, to get a stay of proceedings to ride in the golden slipper the next day. And he said to me, you have got no right to get a stay of proceedings and hung up on me. So I couldn't ride. Glenn Boss got on the horse mm. and rode it every bit as good, probably if not better than I did, could have, and won the race. Wow. So, you know, that that, that couldn't happen today. That's denial of natural justice. Mm. It's garbage. And for Shrek to be able to do that, Bobby Nicholson, who was the race course detective, I'm at the high court, subpoenaed, mm. cannot leave. So he brings me an envelope at 6 o'clock at night. I open it up and they disqualified me for one year for not turning up to a the AJC. Now, this is what, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, a bodgy yeah. committee was as far as I was concerned yeah. because I'd already sent a lawyer, a barrister Tenure and my QC yeah. out to tell them that I couldn't be there because I was subpoenaed to court. Mm. So how, how does that work? So I was never squeaky clean. The things that I admitted that I'd done wrong, I paid the price for, but by gee, it needed an overhaul. Even though, that, sorry, yeah. even though you came out the other side, my word, and look what you became—that it's obvious it left a scar. Mm. That has left a big scar on you. Oh well, it does. I mean, to say when they take something away that you work so hard for, and yeah, I, I, I was yeah. wrong in in a few of the cases, but not all of them. And it, I, I personally think it was badly handled. How big are hypocrites for certain people? No, no names, but just how much did you learn how hypocritical people can be? So I'm sure when you came back and then you started having success, the people that burn you, they were quick to be at your doorstep. Oh, look, the phone started to ring, but I, 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 I would scan calls and who's this and who's that. And even till the day I retired four years ago, I wouldn't A, ride for those people. Yeah. B, I wouldn't acknowledge them. But I didn't disrespect them, mm. but I just had no time for them whatsoever. Mm. Uh, they're hypocrites, and a lot of people needed to look at their own backyard before they start criticising jockeys or other individuals. There's something in it, boys, isn't there? Like, you think about Melbourne Storm went to hell and back, bounce back, win the comp. Cronulla Sharks, hell and back, bounce back and win the comp. David yep. Warner, Steve Smith. Yep. There, there is something in that hardening up sort mm. of process, well, it, isn't it, it? It's a mental thing. Like, when one door slams in your face, another one's going to open. And I, I, I've always been a great believer success is good, but hardship is even better because yeah. it makes you tougher. It makes you realise how much you appreciate something. And where there's a will, there's a way. And I've always been determined. My dad taught me that. You know, you just fight back. If you're right, you fight back and prove to them. And 
um, I was so determined to do that. Mm. And when I'd done it, might and power, I could see myself standing in the irons going like that, thinking, thanks for coming, boys. <laughs> <laughs> With a big finger going up. <laughs> Cox Plate. So I, I could imagine that, you know, the pressure for the Caulfield Cup but then more pressure for the Melbourne Cup. I imagine by then, no, was there next to no pressure Why going into the, the Cox Plate? Yeah. Well... There was, because he, he wasn't going as good that year right. going into the Cox Plate as he was, obviously, Caulfield and Melbourne Cup. And he, he'd he run it third or second, excuse me, in the Ranbet, and then he went to the Caulfield Stakes, and that was his D-Day. And I remember Jack saying, if he don't win today, he's not going to the Cox Plate. He's got to win today. And the great thing about that was he come out and he won the Caulfield Stakes. He beat Tycoon Lil, which... Die was rapping once again that he was going to beat me and this and that, and I had great pleasure in sticking it, <laughs> sticking it in the die. I've got that picked that up, yeah. And, and then um, to walk into the the valley that day, it's the first time up until then '98 that I've ever seen a sign full house, wow. forty thousand people compact. Um, pressure was on, and I'd won the bars that year on Mossman, mm. which was a three-year-old race leading into the Derby. And Clary said to me, what are you going to do? I said, if he leads, he's going to be hard to beat. So he said, okay, you do it. You get him to relax. Well, I rode him and he, won a, he ran a record. He broke the course record. Wow. Mossman did. Wow. So then I'm thinking, four races later, we've got might and power. And I'm thinking, if I ride him to run a record, he can, he can smash Mossman's record because he's 10 lengths better than yeah. Mossman, three-year-old against the five-year-old. So I said to Jack, he said, I'll leave it to you. I'll leave it to you. You know what you're doing. I said, thanks, Jack. Anyhow, that day he half missed the start. Mm. He's just a little bit slow. So Billy Idols whipped up outside me on Tycoon Lil. I've got to the winning post and I thought, I'm out of here. So I just shouldered him out, spared him out, went straight to the lead. And I said to Jack, if I dictate the Cox Plate, I win. Yep. He goes, that's good. And then I, after the race, I hear the call. Cassidy dictates the Cox Plate with yeah, a thousand to run. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I'm going to ride him to break a minute the last thousand. Which ninety nine percent of horses you can't do that because they can't break it. Yeah. They can't break a minute. But I did on him, and he broke Mossman's record by two seconds. Where so two seconds? <laughs> and it stood until the great champion mayor come along. Winks. Mossman's record stood for three races or something like that. Three races. <laughs> <laughs> and Pumper broke it again. So if you out of those four, I'll, I'll say the four races because I imagine they're your top four. The three Doremus wins Kiwi. If you could go back in time and power, you mean? And the, and the Kiwi Melbourne Cup. So, yep. yeah, so if you go back and experience one of those rides again or have one of your beautiful daughters experience what you experienced, which race would you choose? Well, what means the most to you? Believe it or not, I've never said this, but I've, I've thought about it and thought about it. None of them. Really? None of them. O of those, before you get to the next one, of those, what's most of important? Of those. Oh, sorry. Of those, I would say... Probably the Melbourne Cup. Yes. Because it had never been... That was probably one of my greatest rides. Yes. Because it's impossible. I think the Melbourne Cup's been run, correct me if I'm wrong, 152, 153 years. Take, yeah. Yeah. So, somewhere around that. Yep. No horse has ever led and won the Melbourne Cup. Yep. But i done it. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. And that... I think it was Max Presnell. I, I've still got an article somewhere saying he quoted it probably as one of my greatest rides. Mm. Because it was impossible to do. 
and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, what, what was was the ride? Probably one of my greatest thrills, somewhere I never thought I would go to, was Zoo Stars 100 at Flemington. I was the third jockey of all time to ever do it in yeah. Australia. And the two blokes that were before me were pretty, pretty darn good. Mm. Mr. Roy Higgins wow. and Mr. George Moore. <laughs> and then the pumper. Yeah. Come along. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So that, that was... Yeah, because, those. yeah, I, I was lucky enough, as I mentioned, I dreamed about riding in a Melbourne Cup. I thought I was going to win one. I just had that in my head. But to ride 100 Group 1 winners? No. Nah. Yeah. No. Nah. I actually had 60 rides, 60, no, 72 rides or something, 82 I think it was, before I rode my first winner. Wow. And then Kiwi was actually, I started in 78 and then in 83, Kiwi was my 500th winner. So for the next four or five years, I rode nearly 100 winners, just wow. under 100 winners a year. What do you miss about it? The competitiveness. Right. Getting out with the boys. Yeah. Jockey's room, you're a pump, whether it's the Melbourne Cup or a maiden at while. You're there, you're amongst it, the adrenaline's running. Um, Get nervous before every race? If you don't, you shouldn't be there. Yeah. Mm. You shouldn't be there. Yeah. I used to sit in the jockey's room before group ones and the guts would be churning and... Sucking on a dart, <laughs> all those little things. But I loved it. There was nothing better than have that heart nearly ready to jump out of your stomach. And what about mid, mid-race? Obviously, there's a lot of characters within racing, but certainly there's a lot of uh, jockeys that are characters. Mid-race, is there a lot of chat when you're actually out there in the hustle and bustle? Or Well, there is, you know, positioning. I, I used to try and, depends on the horse where I was going to be, but you want to be following good jockeys because good jockeys normally make good decisions. Uh, there's always a lot of banter and... I remember there was, uh, talking about banter, there was a race, uh, the AJC Derby, I won on Roman Emperor for the King, for Bart, and 600 out, I had a jockey outside me and he's going, move out, pump, move out. <laughs> I said, move out, mate. I said, we've got 600 to go. <laughs> I said, shut the so-and-so up. I win the race. If I go out and do what this jockey says, I get beat. He beats me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always banter somewhere, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. The main thing, as I said, is getting a position and trouble-free run. No matter what race you're in, you can't win mm. if you're stop-start, clipping heels, all this sort of thing. Fluency is 90% of winning in any race. And did you go through periods of your of your career where you were, you felt you were out of form or informal? I've always been fascinated when I hear 100%. jockeys saying, you know, they're yeah. in. So what is it? Just reading the tempo of the race, or what, yeah, what does well, it mean when you're in it's in still, form? Just timing, you know. Yeah. It's no different to playing golf, baseball when you're swinging some bat. Um, it, it's all, it's all just timing, and it's a mental thing. Mm. I believe 90% of riding winners or to be successful at, at anything is mental. Uh, if you can handle the pressure and rise to the occasion, you're halfway there. Yeah. And as, as I've said, I remember saying to James McDonald prior to him coming back, he rung me up and he goes, Pump, what do I do? I said, is it broken? He said, nah. I said, have you forgotten how to ride? He said, nah. I said, well, don't change it. Don't complicate it. Mm. Keep it simple. And, and that was always that was always my thing. Keep it simple. If it's not broken, don't try to fix it. Only fix it when it's broken. The lovely Vicky. What, what about the spread we've got oh. here? The beers, the camembert cheese, the biscuits, yes, the, we'll the chips. we'll give that a run in a minute, boys. I'll yeah. <laughs> and it just reminds me, it may be an urban myth, and I, the story I've been told, and you can either squash this or, or, or carry it right on, is that your two Melbourne Cup wins, you actually had a beverage or two the night before. Is that fact or fiction? 100%. i tell you a funny thing. Um, my great mate, God bless him, we, we lost him nearly... 10, 12 years ago, Nick Robin. Mm. 
the MC today at Carlton United Breweries yep. on the afternoon before the Golden Slipper 2000 when I won on Ha Ha. Anyhow, we're up on stage and the big boss of CEB said, Pump, he said, what do you do the night before the Golden Slipper? And I sort of paused for about two seconds. <laughs> and I'm thinking, we're at Carlton United here. I said, I'm going to go home and drink probably half a dozen Crown Lagers, yep. have a couple of darts and go to bed and be asleep <laughs> by 7.30. Yeah. And I said, I'll come out and win the Slipper tomorrow. Wow. And you wouldn't believe it. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I didn't drink six, I drank five and a half. And I come out won the slipper the next day and it was outstanding to get that pallet of crown lagers after the slipper. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. So it was beautiful. But I, I used to like to have a couple beers the night before, always did, or a little whiskey. Uh, if I couldn't sweat in the afternoon when I was trying to get the weight off, a little brandy or something just to get the blood going. But I never used to eat much. I used to go to the races hungry, a uh, yeah. little bit aggressive and... Mm. A little bit like might and power. You go to kill, crush, destroy. <laughs> so I can see Jockey him driving past the Maccas at uh, Kensington Ooh. after a day at Randwick. Oh, couldn't eat it. Really? You couldn't. Oh, couldn't I would have it. thought the blinker had put itself yeah, on. Yeah, on a Saturday at 6 p.m. It's uh, uh, you've, 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 you've gone down, you've, you've got down to 52, whatever it is. Actually, Sunday was my eating day, not yeah. a Saturday night, right. because your stomach is shrinking so much. I've heard Roy Higgins talk about that, yeah, that I, his wife would cook him a roast, and he'd only eat a couple of bites, go to sleep, yeah, wake before, up Sunday morning, and then he'd just yep. wolf the whole thing down. I, he was I'd ready. Get, I would get up, obviously, because the alarm clock's going in the head, the three o'clock start. I'd try to sleep till at least five, and then I'd get up, and Vic could, I'd, I'd have steak, eggs, chips, <laughs> sausages, mushrooms, tomatoes. And then my old trusty VB, yeah. a couple of them, whether it's 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and that was my eating day. Yeah. I'd go to bed Sunday night like a cast whale. Yeah. <laughs> I'd sit in the spa and watch the footy on the Sunday afternoon, yes. watch the night game, um, and then I'd go to bed like a cast whale, wake up on Monday morning and start all start over all again. Because the story I had about the cup, and I don't know which one it was, but that, that you, you'd had a few, more than probably what you'd hoped for. And you're the first person at the track trying to sweat it out the <laughs> next day. Is that is that fact or fiction? Actually, Melbourne Cup morning, myself and my great mate, my boss, Malcolm Ayub, Yep. we were in the sauna at Flemington on Melbourne Cup morning at 4.30 in the morning. Which one? The, the at Flemington on yep. uh, Might and Powers. Might and Power, yep. We were in there. and uh, Is that because of a big night the night before or is that fiction? No, no, that's fiction. That's fiction. Yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah. Not, 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 certainly not the night before the Melbourne Cup. Yep. There was one night uh, before the Newcastle Cup when I was... Uh, <laughs> A <laughs> little bit under the weather. <laughs> and uh, it's another story. Um, but no, look, I was in the sauna at 4.30 on that uh, Tuesday morning. Yep. And I was all done and dusted by 7. I was trying to job. lose how many kilos? What were we trying to drop? Oh, no, I didn't have to really nah. lose any weight. I rode Bazil Bay at about 58 and a half. He won the mile there. And then Might and Power obviously had 56. But I sweated every day whether I had to ride light or heavy. It right. didn't matter. But it was just a mental thing. Mm. I'd done a bit of boxing, do a yeah. few sit-ups and have a good rub. And I was laying in the in the, uh, in the the jocks room in the bed having a metho rub when Letsy walked in. He said, no one light a cigarette. Pump's been rubbed with metho. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've all, uh, we've all, and I'm happy to confess this. I've never actually ever told this story, but we've all dropped the ball at some stage as far as being not professional. Mm. And Canberra were playing Newcastle. In Canberra, and the night before or the day before, my great mate Steve Price, 
who's over in Warrington at the moment, and, and his old man Chick is doing it tough, and I'm praying for him. He, he, he's might and power, mate. He's just kicking mm. on. But anyway, the big man comes over, and it's pricing myself and the big man. And we start on the beers, and then we've had a vodka, and then we've had a wine, and, and all of a sudden, I'm being tucked into bed by the big man and pricey, right? <laughs> Wifey wakes me up. Oh, you got to get a plane. And I'm embarrassed to tell this story because it's not something I often do, but I get on the plane, and I'm second, third, fourth hand, right? Gary Belch is on the plane, Kevy Walters is on the plane, and we're off to Canberra. And this plane is like a washing machine. Oh, yeah, right? those, oh. the, the propeller plane. Little propeller things. So it's a washing machine. I get off, I go to the toilet, I'm in there for some time in Canberra Airport, and, and Kevy Walters says, where, where you been, mate, number two? I said, no. Nah. And I haven't told them to this day. They, if this would be the first time they've heard the story. I said, number three, I'm a bit crook, right? <laughs> so, so we call the game. So what you're looking for in this game is to be just short and sharp, rip the band-aid off and get back on this plane and get home, yep. right? Goes the golden, golden point. point. <laughs> golden point. <laughs> it's the game you recall. Canberra kicked the field goal. I say, thank God, they're going to win this game. Trent Hodkinson kicks the field goal on the buzzer. 25 all rare scoreline. Now we are off to golden point, golden right? Point. They're looking for these field goals, missing, missing. I just want this game over, right? I just want it over. There's only one person who knows about this. It's the director and the producer inside the, the box. And I'm pressing the silent button saying, man, this game, please, right? Jordan Rapana scores off the kick. And it's the only time I've got this call. The great Steve Crawley rings me, who's still the boss there at yeah, Fox. He said, yeah. mate, that's your greatest call. <laughs> <laughs> So, so come next Friday, what's my preparation? Do I go back onto that thing? But that's, yeah, it was one of the only times. And um, sometimes we drop the ball. And sometimes you scare yourself into a good performance, don't you? My word. I, I remember my great mate, Maxie Lees. We went up for that Newcastle um, Newcastle Cup Carnival, which they used to race, what, Thursday, Friday, I think it was back then, mm. back in the 80s. I was riding a horse for Nebo for Mayfield Smith, Indian Raj. I'd won the main sprint on the Saturday, uh, the Thursday on Vane Fury for Maxi. And Maxi goes, this will win. He said, this will win. $26, bang, home it gets. <laughs> he said, so we always used to go to the Calcutta. In mm. them days, you're allowed yeah. to go to the Calcutta and yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So Maxi goes, come on, we'll go to the Calcutta. I was staying with Maxi and Vicky in Newcastle. He goes, have a quiet night. He goes, you're going to, you know, you'll be hard to beat in the cup tomorrow. I said, I'll win the cup tomorrow. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Indian Raj. So about three. Well, yeah, sorry, sorry. We'll pick that up. Did you ever not say you were going to win a race? <laughs> no, I was always confident. Yeah, you got to be. But you got to be. You got to be. James Maloney. That's yeah. G- yeah, Jimmy Maloney. Little Jimmy the name. Maloney. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So about three o'clock in the morning, this bloke was you know a little bit under the weather, and this bloke's going, "You're on the favourite in the cup tomorrow." He said, "You got no chance, <laughs> pump." I said, "Really?" I said, "What price they betting?" He said, five to one. I said, well, give us something on it, will you? <laughs> so he wrote it on the tissue paper. <laughs> <laughs> so I obviously give it to my great mate, Maxie Lees. I said, yeah, there's a little present for you, Maxie. Go and collect that. <laughs> I come out and won the cup. Oh, Maxie boy. Maxie boy. Oh, how good. Who's your footy team? Uh, being a Kiwi, I've always followed the Warriors since, okay, yeah. since they've been in. Um, but League's look, your game. You are the ultimate optimist. Oh, jeez, <laughs> like pulling teeth. Uh. Like pulling teeth. They look so good, but uh, I mean, it's a, what, one of the seasons they come out, won their first five or six, and then mm. lost their next fifteen. Like, uh, but I, I love the Melbourne Storm since the Melbourne Storm have come in. Yeah. Um, I think if Craig Bellamy was a horse trainer, I'd want to ride for him. Yeah, uh, I think he's a freak. Uh, the thing that I love about it, they players obviously love him. They play for him. They play for the club. Um, 
They can be down and out. They fight back. I don't know what he feeds them, but I wouldn't mind a bucket full of them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they turn up, don't they? They just turn up as no ones and just explode. He, he's a machine. Well, the thing that I've loved about it is a lot of the players that I didn't know and didn't know their capabilities of their ability, yeah. he's able to turn them into superstars. Mm, yeah. And, you know, he must be an amazing man. And I, 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 I read a couple of articles because, I, as I said, I love the Storm and I, I love people like Bellamy and, and um, Wayne Bennett and yeah. Ricky Stewart and then people just – I appreciate listening to their knowledge where mm. a lot of people like listening to jockeys talk and that yeah. sort of thing. But I, I appreciate the feedback and watching their – the way that they operate and things like that. I remember one day I was sitting in the – Qantas Club Lounge when the Broncos were down flying back. They'd played a Friday night game, I think it was, against Souths and uh, Elfie and the boys were there and they'd come up and I said, I talk to you guys all the time. I said, can I go and meet Wayne Bennett? I said, please, can I go and meet Wayne Bennett? And I didn't realise he was standing behind me. Yeah. He tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, pump, sit down. He said, we'll have a coffee. He said, Elfie, you guys get away. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just in awe, you know, yeah. to sit there and talk to him and we talked about racing, we talked about footy and coming up in life, you know, what made you keen and mm. all this sort of thing. And, yeah, I, I, I get quite flabbergasted. It's beautiful mm. to be able to talk to them people. And, as I said, Sturlo and Sticky and them sort of people, it's it's beautiful to be able I love sitting back talking Similarities about between the top NRL coaches and the top trainers, would you say? Is, is it similar demeanours? Oh, very and, much so. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you, you put Craig Bellamy and people like Gay Waterhouse and... Bart and they're so professional, you yeah. know. They just they they can't get the result. They want it mm. given to them, yeah. and, and they must be able to install that in, into them people. And and Gay was very much the same. Like you go to the track at four thirty in the morning, she's buzzing like a can of worms, and you've got to be like her. Yep. And mm. I learned a lot off Gay and Tommy and Bart and them sort of people because everything's you got to tick the tick the boxes all the time, mm. and you got to be there. I always, with riding for Gay and Bart, I'd be there waiting for them. Yep. I would never let them wait for me. Mm. Because he, if, they're, if they're waiting for you, you you're on the bench. Mm. You're on the bench. You're, mm. in the, you're, you know, you're in the second division. You ain't going to get a run. Never had a desire to train? No. No. It, uh, if I did, I would have trained for Rod Russell and Keith Biggs. Because... You come out of racing, it was hard enough when you win chasing money. Yeah. And when you're training, you, you'd be chasing your tail, people mm. don't want to pay, and yeah. you have setbacks and all this sort of thing. If, if I would have kept riding if I had that anxiety, you know, the, the thing to do something else in yeah. racing, where yeah. I'm happy now. Uh, I, ha- I had a great time in doing what I'd done. I mean, to say if 10 people could experience a quarter of what I'd done and mm. the excitement mm. and the yeah. people that I met and it was amazing. Would would a, sorry, Dan. Would, would, a, would, a, would a top trainer, do they have a day off? Or even back in back in your day when you were riding or even now, no, it's probably more professional now yeah. than it is. Like we, we used, in, in the early, what, late 80s, early 90s, we used to race twice a week. Yeah. Now it's nine days a week. Mm. Yeah. They'd race at night if they could. Yeah. Remember, remember when Sundays came in? That was a scandal in about the mid-late 90s. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't ride Sundays. Yeah. I, I'd, very, I'd go to Melbourne and ride the Group 1 days or ride the Group 1 races or maybe the Canberra Cup, something like that, yeah. on a Sunday. But if it was a normal Sunday meeting, I wouldn't go. I'd, I'd spend the time with my wife and my kids. And, yeah. you know, you've got to have some little bit of a break, uh, come back to reality. And 
the highs are always good, but the lows are good, and you, you got to have. You must have family time. You must. You would have had some falls. Every jockey does. Did you ever? Were you ever in a situation where you were scared? Well, maybe the the next ride. Never. The next, never. Never. If I was scared, I would have retired. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of jockeys I believe go too long, yeah. because their judgment, uh, the risks they take. Uh, if you're scared, don't be there. Don't be there because you're you're a hindrance. Uh, Playing not to lose. Yeah, it's it, you just can't be there. Um, I, I had a car accident twelve months ago. Uh, I've lost the plot a little bit since then in respect of getting back on track. Where you fall off a horse, you want to get back on. You want to right. go go mm. straight away. Mm. Where since I've had the car accident, I'm a little bit hesitant. I don't really drive as much as I used right. to. Um, so the comparison of car accident. Horse fall. I had plenty of falls. Uh, I I was lucky, very lucky. What is, in your mind, the optimum jockey age? I mean, you win a cup at 20, you would have been fearless, but you would have been naive, I'm guessing. Oh, 100%. So so is it mid-20s? Is it early 30s? Is it late 30s? Well, in Sydney, you used to get your 40s, and they'd say late 30s, they'd put you in the too hard pile. Where I wouldn't let them do that to me. Yeah. I was going to leave racing when I was ready. Yeah. I wasn't going to let them push me out. Uh, I wasn't going to ride rubbish horses because I'd been spoiled by working hard and riding good quality horses. But I was ready to go. I won my last group one at 53. Um, so there's no there, there's no age limit. No, but when were you at your best? When oh, at my best? I reckon... Middle 40s. Oh, really? that wow. late? Yeah. Wow. I still rode a lot of group. Well, I'd, I'd done 97, 98 out, and then I'd come back and still rode another 30 group one winners. Wow. So um, it, it's a mental thing. It's a thing where, as you mentioned before, if you, you know, golfers aren't 100% all the time. Mm. Footy players aren't 100% all the time. Um, no matter what sportsmen can't be at their peak 100% for one year. Impossible. Yeah. I've never seen anyone do it. I mean, to say you, you have three months off and then you train and you work seven mm. or eight months of the year. And jockeys are the same. I went through phases where you've done that. But as you get older, you get wiser, you get smarter, you learn more. Mm. I used to learn, talking about learning, I used to learn more off having dinner with Bart, talking about all different things in life and putting them into perspective and then taking them to the races when you're riding for him. And he was an amazing man. To have dinner with. Mm. If I had the chance to have dinner with anyone ever again in my life, it would be Bart. I remember we used to sit at the Hyatt over a scotch two hours after the last Mm. and he would quickly go through the day, tell me where I was brilliant, tell me where I was fair and tell me where I was good and where he wants me to improve in the next meeting. Who scolded you to a point where you were so disappointed in yourself? Who did you have so much respect in that after a race, if you had a poor ride... Where you thought, oh, I've let them down. Um, Do you get scolded often? Oh, yeah. yeah, You get abused, you get pay. Gay was good at giving you pay. Yeah. But it was – I love getting a pay because it makes you fight back harder. It makes you – I always used to go home, think, have a look. I used to hate getting a spray when a trainer hadn't looked at the video. Right. I used to love getting a spray. I used to love getting praised. But be right first. Don't go off half cock and then go back and look at the video and think, 
oh, what did I do that for? But if that's the training, you've got to cop it because you've got to front up again. Yeah. And I never used to take things to heart because you've got to work with them same people, yeah, which exactly. I did for nearly 30 years. Because if mm. you snap back, you, you might lose back, them forever. You, you're on the bench. They say, don't use him. He's arrogant. He's rude. He's blah, blah. So you had to be very diplomatic. Um, you had to be fair and take the good with the bad. Mm. And as I said, I, I was lucky. I rode for all the great trainers. I rode for all the great trainers. And the bloke I loved probably most was Maxi Lees in yeah. respect of putting things into perspective. A, he told me he wasn't a brilliant jockey, but he was a good jockey. Mm. And then he went through the transition of being a horse trainer and he was a brilliant horse trainer. But Maxi was fair. That's Craig Bellamy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And Middle of the road player. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Maxi was brilliant because... He would, when I was having a bad run, I'd ring Maxi. Or, or, and the other person I'd always ring was Ronnie Quinton. I'd always talk to Ronnie and say, Ronnie, what am I doing wrong, mate? Mm. And he was the one that taught me, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah. And I used to love following Ronnie in a race because he had a good brain. He was a good thinker. He was leading jockey in Sydney for 10 or 12 years yeah. in a row. And he was the ultimate professional. And I used to love him. I'd watch him. I'd, I'd, if I had a chance to follow any jockey in a race, it would be him. Because he positioned well and he was a good thinker. He was a good thinker. Mick was always hard to beat. He was like me as I got older, mm. more aggressive and get him there and punch him and hit him and try and lift him and do all those things. But Ronnie, and he was pretty much my idol when I come to Sydney. He, he was beautiful to watch. Mm. Who, who's the Jim Cassidy of today or the closest to it? Jay McDonald. I knew you were yeah. going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Any, if there's a Kiwi, they can do anything, mate. <laughs> We've got some of the great Kiwi jockeys here. Um, He's got good confidence, hadn't he? Horses yeah. run for... Well, you've got to have confidence. You you've got to back yourself in I this game. I've seen a bit of Tommy Marquand. Uh, I like him too, the pom. Yes. He, he well, pumps them up like you, and, Jimmy. And even Nash. I love Nash because Nash can lift a horse. Yeah. He's aggressive. He's hard. But he's still soft in the hands. Yep. Um, we've got a lot of very, very talented jockeys here in Australia. Uh, I still love Ollie in Melbourne, Willow, um, Dwayne Dunn, them blokes, they're, they're good, consistent mm. jockeys. You get to run for your money. Look, I, it's funny, since I've retired, you sit there and people criticise, oh, this and this and that. I said, mate, we've got decisions to make. There's only four things a jockey can do in a race. I said, do you know what they are? Oh, fall off, mate, do this, oh, do that. Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I said, there's four things you can do when you leave the barrier. You go forward, you go back. You go left or you go right. There's only four things you can do, yeah. but you've got to make them bang. Yeah. Mm. I actually asked Ray Murray one day and he couldn't tell me what they were. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you suspend me, you do this, do that. I said, you sit there and say a horse or whether any steward, oh, the horse is hanging. I say the horse is hanging. We can't see the horse is hanging. I said, no, of course you can't because you're not feeling it. Mm. And, and that's where you get rubbed out and this and that. But as I said, there's four things you can do. And if I can find a fifth one, Please tell me, because I never found one in 38 years. What's the more satisfying feeling, riding, winning on a champion where it's a Ferrari and you're just going along for the ride, or winning on a decent horse, but you know my that claim you, you rode it to victory? My claim to fame was I could win on horses that other jockeys couldn't. Right. My, my mate uh, in a tipping comp, he won it because he went on a 50-to-1 shot in a Sydney Cup, and he said, I don't care the horse's name. He said, the pumper can win this. <laughs> Grand Marshal. Yeah, that, that was probably one of the little disappointing times in my life right. because I had ridden Grand Marshal his first five starts back. 
he had his last run when I rode him at Rose Hill on a 10 furlong, whatever it was. He was ready to win the chairman's. Mm. And I never got the phone call. Joe Marrera was on it. And I thought, what a dog act. Like, that was a low The chairman's, act. that's right. The 2,600 metres. 2,600 yeah. metres. $2.60. Yeah. <laughs> Slaughter. Joe yeah. Marrera. Got beat. <laughs> I didn't have a ride the first day of the championships. Yeah. I was out there building that chook shed you can see just down the back. <laughs> wow. When the champion, I come and watch the race and I thought, I never really used to pull one's tail, mm. but I pulled its head, its legs and its tail. <laughs> Get beat. And yeah. it got beat. Yeah. So he was a $2.45 favourite that day. Mm. The following Saturday was a race called the Sydney Cup. Yeah. He'd blown out to 50 to 1. God bless Dad. I rung it. Had, had a couple of thousand each way. Dad, there's nine runners and they're betting 50 yeah. to 1 against the pumper. Yeah. I thought, who's got rocks in their head? <laughs> and they used to say to me, who shot the bomb? And I said, pumper did. <laughs> Graham Marshall. And as much as I love Joe Marrera and I admire what he does. Who shot the bomb and pumper <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, Joe, what were you doing? I said, what were you doing? I said, he was immoral to win the chairman's yeah. and he would have been an even money chance in nine runners to win the Sydney Cup. And it was good because he was already booked to ride one for uh, John Moore. So he yeah. wasn't punted. Well, I don't know. He didn't think he could win. He wanted to yeah. ride the other one or whatever. And what, what, did he, what did he do wrong? Why didn't he win the race? Well, he didn't really know the horse. You know, it's hard... As great a jockey as he was, it, it, I, I didn't think it was one of his better rides. Mm. I thought he was unbeatable because his his lead up races were good. He was finishing off at the right time, and Stayers he was a twenty six hundred meter two miler, and I just thought he was nine runners in the Sydney Cup. He was, my honest opinion, he was probably a four to one, five to one chance. Wow, that's me doing the form. You got fifty, and they bet fifty to one. Wow, and I just thought, wow, this is crazy. You punt now. Uh, not really, no. I, have a, I, I, I like taking um, first fours. Oh, yeah. Actually, good story. Last day, retired, <laughs> yeah. Rose Hill, 100 people up in a private room, family, just friends. I got the great man himself, Chris Waller, to come up. Yeah. He had 18 runners. <laughs> I said, Chris, I don't want would-be's, <laughs> would could-be's, maybe's. <laughs> I said, I want one winner today. I've got 18. I've got 100 people there. It's all we want. One winner. Yeah. Jim Cassidy, farewell race, the last race. I said, we've got to wait till the last. He goes, yep. Yeah. He goes, this horse will win. Cawthon's Power. Yeah. Number six. So I said, everybody, race nine, number six, Cawthon's Power. That's our bet. Get out stakes. <laughs> yeah. So we're standing there, 100 people. We're all on... You know, nice and chirpy, a lot of syrup during the day. <laughs> All the girls are putting their handbags in one corner because they're friends and everything. We're not worrying about money or yeah. handbags. So I said to my darling wife, Vic, where's the money? She goes, it's in the handbag. I said, I can't go over there. I said, there's a million handbags there. <laughs> so my good mate Frank Mitiker is there. I said, Frank, you got a couple hundred. I've got to back this horse. He said, I've done the lot. He said, I've got a hundred bucks left. I said, give me 50 of it. So I thought, six to one. 50 mm, to win. It's not going to yeah. Ain't going to It's going to buy me some Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, do something different, pump. I'm going to take a first four. So I quickly looked through the race. There was four horses in there that meant something to me. Yeah. Different names that meant something to me as in people that were in the room. Yes. So I took the numbers were three, five, ten, eleven. And I took number six to win. 
50 bucks worth, straight out. I said, that'll do me. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing there watching the race. J-Mac hooks out. Here comes Cawthon's power. Boom, bang, gets the money. Everyone's cheering. I'm thinking, oh, what are the rest? Three, five, ten. Oh, I need 11 to run fourth. 11 goes in the frame. Ah, bang. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying a bit. It's on the tote board out the front. Honey, I won 4,800. She goes, I'll collect it. You are drunk. <laughs> 40,800. Oh, whoa. But they got the pool. <laughs> The first phone call I made, I, I text straight down to the stewards' room, Ray Murray and Greg Rudolph. <laughs> I said, Pumpers had his first official bet, my share. <laughs> <laughs> 40,800 uh, at once. Oh, dominant, dominant was the no horse. no better feeling as a punter when you get the exotic and you, it's that wonderful anticipation waiting for the yeah. dividend to come up. <laughs> And then, but then all, always the New South Wales toad is the smallest. But anyway, that's. <laughs> uh, I think we're just about done here. We are. Uh, Dominant was the horse that Marrera jumped onto. Dominant. That Dominant. Was it? Yep. It ran sixth. It ran a very good six. As I went past, I said, look out, Joe, here comes a pump. <laughs> what par is this course that you've got here? You've, you've built a little seven-hole golf course. Mm. I've got seven holes at the moment. I've, uh, I've got two more to put in, yes. which uh, I'll do over the next couple of days. And it's going to get its first test tomorrow. Oh, this is a brand new, this is a new layout. A new layout. Right. I've moved a lot of the pins. You cannot be left of any pins at the, <laughs> at the puppers. <laughs> if you're left, you're dead. What is your favourite Joel and Sean uh, feature of the Cassidy residence? Because you've got the Teppanyaki, yeah. the outdoor yeah, shower. Room. Yeah, the Balinese shower. The Balinese yeah. shower. The golf beautiful. course. It's got. To, well, I'm a golfer, so it's got to be the golf course. His, his daughter's room's got her own postcode. Room? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than my apartment, <laughs> mine <that> too. <laughs> no, you've done very well, Jed. It's been a pleasure to have you on board, and thank you for your hospitality and Vicks as well. You're very welcome, boys. Uh, thank you for, for, for having us and... Might and power, rest in peace, eh? Yeah, yeah. great yeah. ding ding. God bless the great man. And clickety clack, I won't be coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you, staying Jimmy. here. Thank you, mate. Well Thank done. Careful responsibly, folks.